Aloha, guys, and welcome back to This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. Uh, I'm joined with my uh, co-host, John Colissimo. Um, I did mention aloha instead of hello or what's up, guys, just bringing the local flavor here from Hawaii. Um, so today we've got uh, a couple of interesting topics on the docket. Um, let's go ahead and get started. John, as we look around the NFL today, there's lots of, uh, lots of interesting news. One... Um, regarding a player with a lot of, uh, we'll just say negative things uh, surrounding his name. And there was a tweet from uh, the often, I say meticulous and uh, oftentimes taken as the, the man with the, the, the best word around the NFL, Adam Schefter, mentioned that the, the Browns had, had landed Reuben Foster, later to be deleted and represented as Brown's being interested in Reuben Foster. However, he landed on the Washington Redskins. So obviously Reuben Foster, a good football talent guy coming out of uh, Alabama, had some interesting noise around him in, in the combine, not necessarily the, the, the best type of news that you wanted as, as a guy vying for a, a first round position, really based on his talent. Uh, then come to find out, you know, the guy has been arrested and charged for multiple uh, counts of domestic violence. So, you know, John, what, what's your take on, on the Ruben Foster fiasco and, and really us dodging a, a, what, what I call a bullet with, with him? Well, I'd, first of all, I, I'd say I agree with you. All right. Uh, you know, the thing with Ruben uh, is, you know, football in general is a violent sport um, and it requires a certain mindset to be able to, uh, to execute some of those things that uh, that you see on the field, and Ruben has always been a, an extremely violent player, and he's not the first, and he's not the last, um, and it's a it's a scale of things, okay. And some some NFL players are pretty good at uh, consolidating that between the lines, you know, between the chalk, and some aren't, right? You know, and uh, you know there is a reason that uh, a talent like Ruben Foster would fall to the second round in the first place. That's not a, that's not a chance. That's not uh, something that just happens during draft day. Like you sometimes see players slip because of position and uh, team needs and, and those types of things, you know, Ruben fell for a reason. There was a reason that they were able to get him because he was a, uh, you know, a fantastic middle linebacker prospect as somebody that the 49ers themselves would tell you that they consider taking in the top five. Right. You know, and yep. uh, I think we're seeing why some teams backed off from him. And I will say that uh, John Dorsey doesn't have the type of history that says that he shies away from those types of things. Once a certain value is presented, like once you're getting him for yep. below value, uh, then John Dorsey will take those types of chances. Uh, so I think that when those rumors came out, uh, it made sense. And there would be a lot of people that thought that was a pretty be believable outcome that the Browns would go ahead and snag him, which I was worried about. You know, I, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to spend Sundays and have to be conflicted about a, you know, a great player uh, on the football field who is not a, not a very good person. And then look, like I'm not like sitting here trying to like be sanctimonious about it. Okay. I don't need you to be perfect. I'm not perfect. And uh, I don't need you to be, uh, you know, even at my level, uh, you know, but I don't want to feel guilty about cheering how good a player you are, 
you know, and that's the kind of thing that scared me about a Reuben Foster where, you know, this guy has a very well-documented history about uh, be, being an incident. And uh, I just don't want to be put in that position as a fan. You know, it's great that, uh, you know, if some team goes and picks him up and he's a great player for a long time and never repeats his mistakes, that's one thing. But this is a guy with uh, not a one incident thing. This is a guy with a checkered, checkered past that I don't want to have to feel conflicted on Sunday about rooting for. So uh, I was very excited to find out that uh, the Browns weren't one of the people that put a claim in for him. I thought we might. And so, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I'll just say like I had some relief when I found out the Browns weren't the ones that got him. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, you know, like, you know, Dorsey drafted Tyree Kill in Kansas City. We know he's had a past. And, and, you know, he drafts Callaway here in Cleveland. We know he's had a past. So there was that concern when you saw that rumor pop up. I was concerned as well for those same reasons. When you look at Ruben Foster and, and, and you look at the fact that at the Combine, you know, he got in a fight with, a, if I'm not mistaken, a, a medical staff, right? Someone there that was there taking his measurements, someone there that he has no relationship with. And you think about the, the level of anger that he was able to, again, to, to show in that situation. And you think about what he might show in a situation where, you know, he has a relationship with, with a woman, especially, right? It's, it's a scary thought. If, if you have anyone that you love, um, you know, obviously women in your life, it's, it's a scary thought. And you said, I don't, I don't want to be conflicted about those things. Um, if it's a one-time thing and, and there's some gray area around it, it's not cut and dry. I'm willing to give someone a second chance. Um, but in this instance, certainly glad to, to see him uh, not named by the Cleveland Browns as a player of interest. Also in the news, as we, as we switch on to uh, another topic, we look at the, uh, the Fournette suspension, right? So just got him back, um, if I'm not mistaken, was playing quite a, quite a good game up until that point and then goes and, and gets in a fight and gets suspended. Um, so, you know, what's your take on, on, on that? What do you, how do you feel about the suspension? And I'll tell you what, like I was personally upset because I don't know if you uh, did any of these drafts, but there's a, an application called Draft where they do like best ball fantasy football. I don't know if you've heard of this, but essentially it's kind of like you you start and end on the draft. You know, you'll draft like instead of – 17 players you'll draft 25 players and there's no setting lineups you know they just slot your best players for that week into your starting lineup positions okay uh, so i'm in like the best ball championship which uh the top prize is a hundred thousand dollars wow and i'm going to like the first thing you need to do after 12 weeks is win your personal league in total points which i've done and uh, Fournette is one of my players. Uh, <laughs> so, so like, going, I know. So going into that playoff, I no longer have Fournette, uh, which, you know, I, I'll admit uh, that's a disclaimer here that I may be somewhat biased in this, but I just didn't feel like his reaction w- was warranted given the situation. It just didn't make sense to me, like watching those replays, why he would react like that you know, I guess uh, outside the lines. Like, I don't know how much he needed to be suspended, whether he needed suspended for a game, but his reaction certainly seemed over the top to me. What did you think? Yeah, to, to be quite honest, I, I haven't seen the whole thing. I've just seen clips of it very briefly. And so I'm not really in a good position to say kind of what I think about it. But I, I think, again, just tying this back into – 
the previous discussion when you look at a guy who's you know beating women right and and, and he ha- he has a job he's not necessarily suspended guy that gets in a fight on the field is suspended it, it just seems like a double standard to me in some regards um, and there's multiple different avenues we could travel down in regards to the double standard that we won't here today yeah i mean i'll, I'll take your word for it I, I trust you i trust your analysis and unfortunately i just haven't had a chance to look at that so um, i just wanted to get your thoughts on that at the top of the show it almost seemed like a preseason like something you'd see in a like in an intra-squad practice during the preseason is basically right. how I would describe that interaction. So it was just like weird to see that play out on week 12 of the right. NFL season uh, on, on a live field. There. So kind of a, a lack weird. of judgment and just maybe a little like a question about what the heck is going on in your head, right? Like why? I agree. Yeah. Well, speaking about going on and, and the goings on in people's head and um, some juicy topics, as we look at our schedule down the line, um, one of the teams is the Baltimore Ravens, who, as we know, we defeated in an excellent game earlier in the season. But there's some turmoil on the, on the horizon for them in terms of, uh, you know, John Harbaugh and his, his name and, you know, being on the, the hot seat, per se, uh, out there in Baltimore. And then further to that, we look at the quarterback situation and his refusal thus far this week to name a starting quarterback between Joe Flacco and Lamar Jackson, who uh, if you did watch or see any highlights, which I was able to watch it live, he absolutely put on a show on Sunday um, in, in a number of different ways, show, you know, showcasing his abilities as a runner and as a passer. Um, he's come a long way his rookie season and he's needed the time to sit, I think. And he, he looked great. And so, you know, here we are, um, you know, more than halfway through the season uh, and Harbaugh hasn't named the starting quarterback. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And what are the ramifications as, you know, the season goes on for, for the Ravens? I think this is really an actually very interesting scenario where uh, John Harbaugh is being viewed as being on the hot seat. Um, you know, he's missed a few playoffs. Um, he's, you know, I'm not sure how much of a hand he had in picking Lamar Jackson. So interesting to be in this to be in this situation where his job may be on the line, uh, they're in a position where they can still make a run for those playoffs, actually in a pretty decent position to make a run for that sixth spot in the AFC. It puts him in a hell of a predicament situation, you know, where he's got a guy that's, uh, that's gotten him pretty far uh, in several seasons, and uh, he's got a talented young rookie that, you know, you're not sure what you're going to get out of over the next uh, five games. Will you risk your career, you know, in Baltimore on this talented rookie? Or are you going to uh, go back to, you know, what you know and what what has ultimately for most of his career gotten him there in Joe Flacco? I wouldn't say gotten him there, but been a part of where he's gone. I think maybe that's a better way to put it. Sure. you know, than than what's got him here. So it's a really kind of interesting little soap opera we've got going on in Baltimore with high stakes. I'm very interested to see what kind of leash he's got. Um, You know, if he's, you know, I I would think that his lack of committal towards bringing Joe back, if he's healthy enough to come back, tells you a lot to begin with. If that's the direction he goes, how much of a leash is he going to give the rookie? You know, so 
it's it's really an interesting soap opera, like I'm saying, and you just don't know for sure like how much trust he has in the rookie, no matter how much talent he has. You know, how many chips is he willing to risk? Because he's pretty much all in or nothing at this point, you know? So right. uh, it's a very interesting scenario to be in. And I just don't know what I would do in his place. Like, I, I've never thought a ton of Flacco. If my job was on the line, mm-hmm. I, I can't say that it would be an easy decision for me to risk the next five games on Lamar Jackson as a rookie um, if my job was on the line. So right. uh, it's very interesting to me. What do you think? I kind of look at it like this. Like if me and all my buddies all went out and we all got new, I don't know, we got new cars or we got new surfboards. Let's just bring it back home to Hawaii, right? Surfboards. It's the summertime on the South shore of Oahu and the waves are just coming. Right. And I see all my buddies taking their new boards out and, and getting, you know, getting pictures and just whatever they're, they're ripping it up and they're having a good time. I'm going to want to take my new board out sooner or later. And so I think that's kind of how he's feeling right now is he's got a, a brand new surfboard in Lamar Jackson and a damn good one at that. And he's at the point where I think he's, he's ready to let him loose. And like, I don't know how much of a leash he's going to have or is not going to have, but I, I kind of feel that's the scenario that he's in is he's looking around and he's seeing all the, the resurgence or, or the surge, I should say, not the resurgence, but the surge of, of new young quarterback talent in the NFL and he's looking around at Joe Flacco, looking around at Lamar Jackson, and he's saying, eh, I don't know. I think it's time to, to again, take the reins off and let this kid have a shot. Well, let me, let me carry this a little bit further there, Mike, all right, uh, on the waves, okay? Because okay. I'm seeing this a little bit like point break, oh. all right? <laughs> okay, all right. All right. So uh, these waves are large. Uh, you know, regardless of what kind of surfboard you got, are you ready to risk it on uh, some – you know, when you're talking about your career, I think you're talking about that big wave surfing that is pretty damn risky, you know? So yep. I, are you going to let Lamar go on those 30, 40 foot waves to try and uh, run a tunnel there? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to see if, uh, <laughs> if, if he's willing to go in without the life preserver, which will, I think what your point is pointing out is kind of flacco, right? Is he willing to go into the big wave, but he has the blow up vest in case he gets held down or is he willing to go without the vest like a just a true young stallion on the surf tour and <laughs> go in and risk it. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But that's uh, also kind of impacts what happens to us as we look down the road and we look at what you and I and, and Josh have been discussing as what is really the next tier of talent that the Browns are going to be up against in the upcoming uh, weeks, right? We've got Houston this weekend. Uh, I know you've spent a lot of time, and we'll touch on this later in the podcast, on – on Houston's team and, and what they've been able to do well and what they haven't been able to do so well. Um, then we look at the next game, which is Ravens, and then we got the Broncos. And, you know, all teams of, of a much higher echelon than the teams that we've just come off of victories from. So I think, you know, it's important to to get excited about what the Browns have done. It's important to, to, to focus and look at um, all the success that Baker's had, the success that Nick Chubb has had, uh, the success that the, the, the leadership within the organization from the coaching standpoint anyways has been able to achieve in getting buy-in from the players. Those are all important things. But I think when you look at a true test of talent, that's coming up for the Cleveland Browns. And- Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. 
It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Um, you know, up first and foremost is is the Houston team. And this just, you know, again, poses an interesting challenge for us. Uh, I, I think what I took away from that team is I, I'm hopeful for a couple of things. I'm hopeful that, you know, in order for us to win, I feel like they're going to have to come off of some sort of a Monday night hangover and and, and not be ready for the Browns. I think the, the, the media hype this week really make that a, a, a non-factor. I think it's just going to force them, force them to focus on us even more. And then I, I look at the, the offense of weapons that they have, and I understand you're going to dive into the, the offensive line worries um, from Houston, but I look at the, you know, the, the talent that they have on offense, and, and I worry how we're going to uh, you know, keep them under wraps for the whole game. So what, uh, what are some of your thoughts, John, as you, as you look at the Browns' defense facing off against the Texans' offense? So what I would say is that the Browns' defense has a hell of a task in front of them, handling an offense uh, like Houston Texans. They have great wide receivers. They have Deshaun Watson. And what really makes them very tough to handle is that uh, you got to kind of pick your poison because not only are you dealing with the passing game, and uh, great wide receivers like Nuke and, and Thomas. Watson has been able to handle his zone reads and uh, his eyes really well this year. Uh, it's been a big improvement on his intermediate throws, and you can see how he attacks the cover two defenses. He, he just dices those up. And so if, you, if you're going to throw that at him and you got people looking at him, uh, he's going to be able to beat that. And if, you, if you're going to run some man, then uh, he's going to see some open space and he's going to take advantage of that in the running game. Or uh, you're going to have Miller taking advantage of that in the running game. And that's not fun either. Once it gets past that defensive line and, and, and he gets some ahead of steam rolling, uh, then he becomes a dangerous weapon as well. And, you know, I know it's, uh, it's a running back and, uh, you know, if you're going to pick your poison, sure. Maybe you're going to run with, uh, with Lamar Miller as the poison that you pick with this team, but that doesn't mean it's not dangerous. It doesn't mean it's not a threat for us to lose the game, uh, dealing with that kind of stuff. So I don't know what kind of things that we can do pre-snap to confuse Deshaun Watson. What, what can we do, you know, running some combination coverages and, and those types of things to, to make things post-snap be different than what he's expecting based on what he sees pre-snap. That, that's what my charge to uh, Greg Williams would be. You know, that, that would be the key to the Browns staying, you know, within distance in this game because they're going to score. Unless we can confuse Deshaun Watson, unless we deny him attempts to run the ball uh, where we're running zone coverages, then I think this is going to be a very tough game for the Browns to, you know, we've, they have a poor offensive line. But if, if we can't get to them, then it's not going to do any good. And, you know, here's a Texans team that, that's been exploiting plenty of teams so far in the last, especially in the last couple of weeks, with that bad offensive line. So we can't just, like, look at them and say, oh, they got a terrible offensive line, we're going to get to them. 
well, no. I mean, are we going to be able to take him down? Because, uh, you know, if he escapes the pocket and then, uh, it, you know, extends the coverage into three, four second areas, then we're going to be in trouble, you know? It'll be interesting. I, I know this is a, a very lazy comparison, uh, but I remember the days when Michael Vick was playing quarterback and you had that uh, the first real, well, at least in my time, um, real dual threat quarterback, and, and you you saw defenses sort of assign that that middle linebacker spy just to the quarterback. Uh, I, I don't know if it gets to that level for the Browns, but you know I wonder if that's a way to mitigate the you know the running ability of him on on, on this coming weekend's game. Uh, I, I will say that Schobert like gives us the opportunity to do that at a yep. level that many teams can't Correct. afford. Yeah, he's been he's been fantastic. I mean, his his athleticism has been off the chart. I mean, off the charts in terms of what he's been able to to translate it to on the field and coverage, uh, you know, blitzing gaps and getting to the quarterback, getting to the running back. He's been doing some great things, um, and and I think that's a great point. I saw you know the speed of our outside linebackers specifically exploited uh, by the running backs on screen plays against Cincinnati. Uh, but Vallejo, I think, was the, the player I had noted the most who got beat to the outside consistently. Having having Schobert be able to to kind of mirror Watson may be a, a good mitigation for us, and it'll be interesting to see what we do there. You know, I just for the record, I'm I'll own it, not 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 afraid to own it, but I, I totally bought in and 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 hook line and sinker for Deshaun Watson's arm isn't strong enough uh, based on the 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 combine gun, and I did too. It was I did too. You know. It didn't affect who I had as my top quarterback that year, which is Pat Mahomes. Um, I think my my article is still breaking the internet somewhere. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, for for all the reasons that I liked him in in college, you're seeing those things happen in the NFL. I, I wasn't necessarily convinced, and and this was just my lack of uh, of I guess research on him at the time that that he would be uh, the right leader in an NFL locker room, but. He's totally shot me to the moon on that, and I'm fine with that. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how our defense, especially our secondary, is able to adapt and, and put the pressure on him to put balls in, in, in perfect locations. Uh, I think our coverage has been, has been really good uh, the last couple of weeks. We've seen Peppers make some good plays, both in coverage and in run support. Same thing with Randall. So it'll be re- really interesting to see what we do. Um, against the defense, um, our, our defense against their offense this coming weekend. What, what, when I took a look at the, the defense of Houston and I kind of overlaid it with the Browns' offense, what I was surprised to see is Houston has one of the worst red zone defenses in the NFL. Hmm. The Browns have one of the best red zone offenses in the NFL. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Because, you know, we're – if we can – if Baker Mayfield can continue to play with the tempo and the rhythm that he's been playing with, I feel like we're going to continue to drive the ball down the field. A lot of that is going to come down to this weekend our offensive line. Our offensive line is going to have their hands full. When I watched that game on Monday night, I, I, I felt like pulling the covers over my head and, and just <laughs> shivering. I, I was just scared for, for, for us, really. I mean, watching Watt come around the edge, watching Merciless get, in, get involved, watching Clowney get involved, it's, it's a scary thing. And, and Greg Robinson is, is far from the, you know, the, the Hall of Fame left tackle that we're used to. 
um, he's going to have his hands full, as is Hubbard. Our, our interior guys are going to have their hands full, and they're going to have to play one of their best games of the season to keep Baker Mayfield clean and keep him in that rhythm and in that tempo. If, if they can do that, we're going to drive the ball down the field. I, I, I'm pretty confident in that. And then it comes down to just pushing the ball in, on the, in the red zone. So it's going to be one of the, the tougher challenges that we've had so far this season. I see a lot of Browns fans are, are riding the optimism from this weekend, and rightfully so. You know, we should be celebrating. Um, we should be basking in the moment. But this weekend is going to be a challenge. And the expectation should not be that this is going to be easy, that this is going to be you know, just a, a win. If we win this game, it, it, I think it has significant implications uh, for us down the road, um, not just in the playoffs, but if we can beat a team like Houston, who's eight and three, um, squarely in the hunt, I feel like it's really going to, to to bolster our chances of 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 really making the impossible possible this season and and winning out the next you know th- four games. If, if we can do that, that would be th- this game is really going to point obviously at our ability to. Uh, to compete with those top tier teams. We talked about this on our previous podcast, with Josh and, and our disappointment of the, the tale of the two halves versus Cincinnati. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if, if the turf has any sort of, if it makes any impact on, on our game plan. I think the, the last, I remember the last time I remember Callaway being like wide, wide open was against the saints. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, 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 I don't know. Maybe maybe we start airing it out a little bit more this game um, to kind of keep the defense off their heels. Maybe we rely on the screen game, which I think has been fantastic. And, and Chubb has been a, an absolute surprise catching the ball like just based on his college tape and not being existent. Um, but doesn't mean he can't do it. And we've seen him do that uh, for the last two weeks and, and do it with success. I mean, his catch last week against the Bengals was, I mean, that thing was top five plays of, of the season type of play for a running back catching a ball. I mean, that Phenomenal. was fantastic. Um, so if we can do some of those things, even, you know, fit in some draw plays, continue the, the, the kind of odd uh, personnel groupings that the kitchens has been throwing out there, the wishbone they've been throwing out just some, some really weird groupings. Um, I think th- I've seen some three tight end sets. I I've seen some really weird stuff that just keeps defenses on their heels. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a test. It's not going to be easy. Um, and, and our players are going to have to step up. I think Najoku is another guy who I'm going to continue to hammer on almost every week. You know, he's been a rising star for the offense. You know, he's been owning the middle of the field. He had fantastic catch, a uh, diving catch, uh, to, to, to move the ball into the red zone. And that was a phenomenal diving catch, um, in, in tight coverage. And then not really sure what he was thinking, trying to pull vault into the end zone <laughs> from the six yard line. But, you know, you just saw his excitement to, to get into the end zone and, and to make plays and, I think he's ready to be a, a featured part of this offense. So it's fun. And I haven't made like uh, too many comments on this podcast about, uh, you know, Baker's play action, but you know, that was a weakness. I thought like watching his whole year in total. Um, I don't think he always did a great job at selling the play action. Um, I don't know that it was a, uh, you know, especially coming off center. That's not something that he was used to doing at Oklahoma. And I don't want to single out one play because I think yeah, you do. drastically. Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> it was beautiful. The thing was, oh, a, it was, it was just beautiful. Glorious. Uh, but that fake where he hid that, yep. uh, and and you know, uh, Fox had like the perfect angle on it where you could see like whether or not that was a thing. Oh yeah. You could just see how much it was fooling the defense as oh, he yeah. held that ball behind yep. his back, and then at the last second. 
oh, I got it, and then flicked it for a, yep. a completion to a wide open receiver. That's a huge improvement for Baker as a player from yep. start to, you know, week one to week 12. And I was just thrilled. That, that's probably my favorite play of the entire week. I remember, I remember looking at that, that play and watching uh, Burfitt, or Bert, however the heck you pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was just – he came out of his shoes almost. Like when he noticed that Baker had the ball, he like <laughs> whipped his head around, and he's like – you could just almost see his body language like, oh, shit. And, yeah, dude was wide open. And, uh, I mean, that, that play right there shows me a lot of the, the nuance that I don't expect to see from a rookie that we've seen from Baker these last three or four weeks. His trajectory on, on being able to pick up those, those little things, even his movement in the pocket, the, the nuance that, that we're seeing there when he's you know, evading the rush and stepping up and stepping to the side, he's doing it in a much more, again, tempo and rhythm manner. And it's, it's just when you can play with that sort of a tempo and rhythm and, you, and you're in control of the game and of yourself and within the game, the game slows down and things just start improving. And you can see that with Baker. Another play that I think we were in uh, the red zone, I could be mistaken, but um, Baker got the ball, came came around on a five-step, or maybe it was a five-step drop, uh, planted, pump fake with his shoulder, got Carlos Dunlop to jump up in the air. Then he reloaded and and slotted the ball right into uh, to the cross route. And we were able to pick up, you know, like 10 or 12 yards. Just those little types of, of plays, those little types of being able to control a safety, being able to control a defensive end with your with your eyes and your body movement, those types of things you, you don't expect to see from a rookie. And that's what we're seeing for Baker. So I think really the, the Browns team this weekend, and, and as we move forward, it's 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 going to be, you know, ride or die with Baker Mayfield. How, how Baker Mayfield goes, the team is going to go. And if he can continue to lead this, this team and instill his leadership and his – just his, just I don't know his badass nature. I mean, that's what I, that's what I see from the kid. He 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 wants to win. He doesn't care how you what you think. He doesn't care how you feel. He wants he wants to come into your house. He wants to keep his dirty shoes on, rub them all over your couch, <laughs> drink all your beer, leave, and then write you a letter and tell you how bad your beer was and how bad your couch was. That's that's the kind of, you know that's 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 what he wants to do. And I hope he goes into Houston and does just that this weekend. No, you're damn right. You know, like that's a great way to describe it. And even like for us guys that uh, we're heavy Baker guys, uh, we're seeing, I think, things ahead of schedule. And that's really freaking exciting, especially like for those of us that just were like extremely excited for the opportunity to have Baker be on the Browns. He's ahead of that schedule, even for the most positive. And man, is that just like ridiculously exciting for Browns fans. It is. It is. And I think as we, as we move into closing thoughts here, John, I think your article about the, the Brett Favre experience being uh, an equivalent to the Baker Mayfield experience just continues to resonate as we move through the weeks and as we continue to watch uh, the success Baker has had on the field and the excitement that he's garnered within this fan base uh, and the hope and the belief that, that, that he's really just, just brought uh, to, to life in this fan base. It's, it's, you know, for those of you that haven't read it, I, I highly encourage you to go check it out over at Waiting for uh, for Next Year. John did a great job with that article. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I also want to take a moment just, again, to remind all Browns fans to to celebrate 
the, the, the birth of the new Cleveland Browns every year uh, just around Thanksgiving on November the 25th as, as we commit, commemorate the, uh, <laughs> the, the victory over the, the Cincinnati Bengals and uh, the, the closing chapter of the old Browns and the beginning chapter of this new uh, Mayfield-led Cleveland Browns uh, of the new era. That's, that's my closing thought as we move into this weekend against Houston. It's going to be a tough battle, guys. Uh, but, you know, we do have a chance. If Baker Mayfield plays well, uh, you know, anything is possible in Cleveland, and that's a, that's a fun feeling. Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. (laughs) We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.